Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Olga Ward. She uses the pronoun she, her, hers. Olga started Beaverton Neurofeedback after having experienced a positive, life-changing power of neuro-optimal neurofeedback on herself and her loved ones. She is a parent of both a biological and an adoptive child. Olga and her husband both provide intermittent therapeutic foster care for children with trauma and attachment issues. Both of her children have struggled with varying degrees of mental health issues, including anxiety, developmental trauma, sleep, nightmares, and ADHD. Once she experienced firsthand the amazing effects of neurooptimal neurofeedback, she became eager to help others. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me, Michelle. You are welcome. So what did you do before neurofeedback came into your life? Well, I, I always wanted to make an impact in my community, um, and I always had the desire to like heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my past life, I worked uh, for various government agencies and did human resources, which has nothing to do with what I'm doing currently. Um, but it's the parenting struggles and... Uh, my desire to overcome my own trauma is that led me to what I'm doing currently. Awesome. So I'm curious about that journey. We chatted before and you shared that you had one darling child and then, then you got the urge to have another, uh, but you ended up adopting. Can you kind of describe that process? Yeah. Um, I mean, people choose the journey of adoption for so many different reasons, right? Um, Some may have infertility issues, uh, just are not able to uh, have their own children biologically. Um, And so there's no right or wrong way. Uh, And when my husband and I had our first child, we had a whole bunch of uh, family drama going on and uh, job, job changes. And then when my son was getting to be about six or seven, we kept bringing up a conversation about when we never planned on just having the one child, uh, are we going to have another one anytime soon? Um, So that we kept bringing up the conversation, the timing was never right. And it was actually my husband who said, well, you know, we don't have to have another one biologically. There's so many children out there waiting for forever families. Have you ever thought about adopting one and uh, so we were just taking a little walk and I was like wow what a thought (laughs) let me let me kind of meditate on this a little bit more Uh, but I did not meditate on it for very long (laughs) next thing I'm signing us up for DHS orientation for foster and adoptive uh, parents to get like the initial information and uh, yeah, we got the process rolling. Uh, so we just chose to adopt because we felt like we wanted A, expand our family, but B, just do it, you know, wanted to do it differently. Wanted to have an impact in the community, wanted to uh, put, uh, what's the saying, money where mouth is in terms of helping, helping this community, uh, 
helping those who are in need and uh, in this regard, uh, bringing a child uh, from foster care into our home and making her uh, a part of our family was, was that choice. I'm so glad that you chose that. So before we get into what brought you to neurofeedback, you also shared mm-hmm. something that I thought was really interesting. You shared um, a couple things that I didn't know about how the whole adoptive foster care system works and that in Oregon, very specifically, you either are going to be a foster parent or you're going to be on track to be an adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, I know policies change all the time, but uh, what we were explained, and this was uh, over six years ago when we started the process, is that if you are choosing to adopt, don't start with fostering. There's many children in the foster care system, but the vast majority of them are not eligible to be adopted. They, uh, Oregon is working really hard on giving the biological family a chance to recover, get their, um, you know, mental health together, get their resources together, get their resources, uh, whether it's financial or mental health resources together so that, or maybe parenting education so that they can have their child back. So maybe the child was removed because they were not safe. There was just stuff going on in the home. Um, They felt like the child cannot stay uh, or it was abusive situation, but uh, what led to that abusive situation? Maybe the parents uh, have their own trauma. Maybe they need uh, parenting support of some, some, some kind, maybe they lost a job and uh, you know things got escalated at home on multiple levels. So they want to support the family and you can't just rip the child out of the home without kind of sorting things out and figuring out what's, how, how, how does the community, the government support that family? Because uh, even, the, even if the child was uh, physically, emotionally, uh, however, in many ways, uh, being abused in that home, um, it's still very, very traumatic to be taken out, taken away from your biological parents. And so if there is, if this is a kind of a lower grade uh, abuse or just maybe ignorance, lack of support, poverty, those kind of things, then uh, that family uh, needs a chance to get their stuff together and be provided with resources. So, um, and in some cases it's, you know, the return of the child back to the family is not possible, but it's, we don't know. So, so if a family like us decided to make that choice to adopt, then um, they will not just place a child after child into our home because those children may not be eligible because so many kids go in and out of foster care very temporarily, um, sometimes for a number of weeks, sometimes months, um, a couple of years maybe, and then they get to be reunited with their um, biological families when the time is right and when the resources are set in place. Um, so we were told, like, if we don't want to heart our, fall in love with, get attached to a child after child after child, and then 
because the role of the foster family is to love and support the child and uh, be there for the child until the biological family is able to um, have the resources to have that child back. Kind of like an interim director at a place, right? Like an interim director theoretically isn't supposed to go in and change things for an organization. They're holding the pieces together. And so that when the new director, or in this case, yeah. it would be like the yeah. director, right, comes back and is able to hold the reins again. And so you yeah. hold a loving space. If you were to choose the foster aspect, right, you would hold a loving space for that child. So the family can heal and work on their journey. And then they can be reunited, hopefully transformed, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want to become a foster uh, foster family with that mindset of, I hope this child doesn't go back. I hope they uh, the family uh, do not recover. I hope that you know you, you don't want to you want to hold the space. You want to be hopeful for that family to overcome the adversities in and uh, you know be together again. It's not always possible, but as a foster family, that's that's what you're there for. You're not there to wish negative things upon that family that they, I hope that the child doesn't go back. Uh, right. Right. So, yeah. So you, you and your husband chose the adoption track and, mm-hmm. and now you also serve as, which we said, an intermittent therapeutic foster care for children, which we can maybe talk about later, but mm-hmm. you chose the adoption track and and a lovely girl was placed in your home and then then things didn't happen as maybe you had hoped can you describe sort of um what it was like to be a new adoptive mom well yeah uh, so our daughter was placed with us um almost five and a half almost six years ago so it's been forever and we've been through quite a journey together um, but we went through a lot of preparation. Um, so we literally had the formal license to parent her, right? With all the screening and the background check and the medical and uh, providing uh, a list of documents such as, uh, you know, various insur- insurance documents um, and references we had to go through a lot just to have her, um, to have any any child be placed in our home. There is a, quite a big deal of education we had to go through in classes to sit through and books to read through. I felt like I was pretty well equipped and was prepared for the road to be, you know, challenging because this is coming child who was separated from the birth family have gone through a lot of trauma before so but I felt prepared but I still felt like things are going to be okay that our family is going to be different if I just give her you know three square meals and snacks and a loving home and a pretty bedroom and a beautiful bedspread and all the toys that she's going to need and the experiences and good attitude coming from me it's going to just be you know easy peasy (laughs) and it wasn't um yeah this is the child who had been failed by many other adults in her life and had very little faith that what makes me uh any different possibly so 
that's kind of the cost of trauma, right? So you can be an amazing person, but if the person who had been abused or neglected or shuffled around from family to family in the past, you know, you're you can you're gonna look 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 at the next person through that set of lens, a little bit skewed lens. And so you're gonna have behaviors that will match match that um, skewed lens as well. So yeah, the uh, my daughter had um, a lot of like behavioral needs. Uh, she had run away several times and we had police bring her to our house, uh, which was uh, difficult. It was scary, but it was also very embarrassing because uh, the neighbors like, why is the word family having a police car in their driveway again? What, what are they up to? What are they causing trouble? Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh my goodness, this is, this is hard. <laughs> this is not what we, I thought I signed for. So it was really tough. Um, but, you know, uh, so lots of, lots of uh, help from uh, other professionals, from our adoption um, resource person, from uh, DHS caseworkers, from uh, therapists. We were able to learn and grow and uh, overcome many, many adversities that were on our way. I love your story and I love your bravery so much for sharing that because it's such a tender, tender thing, right? Uh, It's a really great example, I think, of a space where there are so many unknowns we don't know. And so you try, you did a bunch of preparation and still there was probably very little that was able to prepare you for the the actual event happening, trying to welcome, you know, so this poor girl being broken, if you will, by betrayed by the previous adults in her life and whatnot, and then placed Mm -hmm. with a family with all the best intentions. But Mm -hmm. I'm guessing she was six or seven at the time, right? She, uh, she was eight. Yeah. And uh, we were her second adoption home. Gosh. So um, so there was a first disrupted disrupted adoption um, that happened before, which uh, layered um, additional trauma in her life and additional uh, betrayal of trust. And uh, you know, so she was she wasn't sure what to expect from us. <laughs> right. I mean, you like, oh, great, another family. What are they going to do now? And 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 uh, other people have shared like there's still nothing that can take place no matter how traumatic that original bond with your original parents like there's nothing that can take place of that and you can you can still love someone right and and hold space for that but at eight years old I'm just thinking of like when I was eight or when my kiddo was eight and you know they're so tender and and learning the world and their gray matter isn't fully developed and Mm-hmm. And have all these things and then be placed, you know, I'm going to, I'm compelled to share a story of a cat. So pardon. Um, I had a cat sure. once and uh, I'm actually allergic in cats and I don't generally get along just because of that. But I was in a relationship and this cat had come with a relationship and then this poor cat had moved 
cross country a couple of times and then within different municipalities multiple times on top of that. And so the first thing this cat would do mm. when moved to a new place was run away. And she mm. for um, a couple days, sometimes a week. And, uh, and eventually um, I, I had to rehome her because I ended up getting pregnant and she uh, did not take kindly to the new human being being in, in the home, right? She would mm. things and well, at some point I learned that cats really need stability. And so like thinking of all the trauma that was built into this poor animal. Right. And I, yeah, um, I share that because there are similarities, right? So a tender young child being moved and okay, now this is going to be your permanent home. Oh, that yes. work for whatever reason. Oh, we're going to plop you over here. And then whatever happened intermittently, right. To be able to try to provide, it's like all with the best intentions, right? Sure. But, yeah. So then, 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 oh, here's another family to trust. And, you know, and I'm sure the process, like there was probably some rapport building or whatever, but the amount of distrust the poor little girl would have had. And so just to carry all that weight is. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, my daughter, uh, well, she's a lot more articulate than your cat was, but so she could say, um, you know, how she felt, but when she was, when she moved in, she was saying so many quote, right things. Oh, I, I still remember, um, the first night she spent with us, she was awake at two o'clock in the morning, and I was like, "Why is the light on?" And she's sitting there, and I said, "What are you doing, sweetie?" And she said, "Oh, I just can't sleep, and I'm thinking like, well, this I just love this new family so much, and I my heart melted." Uh, but in hindsight, <laughs> I was thinking, "Well, she loves us very much now. She's very attached. She is very loyal." Um, we've gone through a lot together, but at that time, those are the things that she was trying to convince herself, uh, saying out loud, but viscerally, internally, almost on kind of like on a animalistic level is like, I'm sure her whole body is like, ah, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't trust it. What, you know, I have no faith that this is going to be different. So, um, and I'm sure you know, your kitty probably felt like the same way. It's like, okay, I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to dig into how you were able to turn it all around. Yeah. Almost two thirds of all adults in work are disengaged with their work. Adults, on average, have 12 career changes in their lifetime. Our global pandemic has erased 10 million jobs from the U.S. economy. And women and women of color are disproportionately affected. I believe these are symptoms of the problem that we are not answering the question we were born to answer. That is... We are not working in alignment, in purpose, and in flow. And that's why I decided to become a coach. I am a coach so I can help you work on your alignment, your purpose, and so you can create your flow. I am accepting a limited amount of six-month coaching packages right now. We will meet weekly 
60 minutes each week, after a 90-minute session where we will dig into your purpose, what it is, and how you can align your days so you are working on your purpose, which will ultimately bring you flow. Then you can be one of the 33% of working adults who are engaged with their work. You can be engaged with your work and your contribution to our world. Want to learn more? Visit www.michellelasley.com slash work with me. Limited spaces are available, so set up a meeting with me today. Welcome back. So another piece of your story that I'm really fascinated with is the advocacy piece that you had to do. And what I mean by that is uh, I think there are a lot of parallels to people who have maybe medically sensitive children, right? And you go to the doctor and you can't find the right answer. You had to be an investigator and your own persistence to be able to finding a solution has led to a career change and healing for your family. So can you just kind of so you, you, you knew that your daughter needed more healing and it became mm-hmm. clear that there was a deeper level of things that had to happen. And as you were going on this journey, you didn't give up and you kept trying to find new things. Can you kind of walk us through what that was like? Yeah. So, well, before the break, we were talking about like what uh, you can verbalize versus what you feel very deep down to your core and sometimes those things match and sometimes they don't and I felt like in my daughter those things like what she was saying verbally did not match with how she felt deep inside so my daughter uh, when when she moved in with us we very quickly found her uh, a therapist which was a good idea um so, but she had she had therapy in the past too when she was in foster care and when she was in the first adoptive home. Um, so she's really good at like articulating and telling you how she feels and what she thinks and how things work. Uh, very good, but it didn't match with how her body reacted. Her body was holding a lot of trauma, um, and it could you know that manifested in a startle response. I still remember when she moved in for uh, probably a couple of years, like uh, definitely in the first few months, if I just walk in the kitchen and she's standing right there, she would jump and she'd say, ah, you scared me. And she'd be very easily startled. That's how I knew. Um, So like uh, logically she knew I was a safe person. I wasn't hitting her. I wasn't starving her. Uh, At the same time, her body was very jumpy. Right. Uh, So having talk therapy was helpful, but I felt like it wasn't getting to the root of the problem. So, and of course she was uh, like most kids that I know in DHS custody are, you know, who have a lot of like behavior issues or can't sleep or have have a lot of trauma, ADHD. She was on medication. Uh, I wasn't so sure the couple of medications she was taken what exactly it was doing but we were told not to mess with it especially in the first six months just this poor child has too much diff you know too much transi- transition already um so we don't want to miss and change things around too quickly uh but uh yeah she was not sleeping well she was you know you can 
talk to her about stuff, but she was still jumpy. She still had nightmares. She had trouble with sleep. Uh, she was very reactive during the day, you know, sometimes uh, physically even like lashing out uh, when she felt like somebody was threatened threatening to her that's all like internal trauma um but she was really good at sitting down and explaining how she felt <laughs> it was just not enough so between the medication uh, the pharmaceutical medications and talk therapy i just felt like there's a piece that's missing right uh, because i knew i saw the, the signs that her body was still very much holding a lot of trauma uh, we struggled quite a bit with that. Um, Can we pause for a second on that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, I just want to commend you on honoring your intuition. Because this, 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 I've heard other stories like this, right? Where you know something is wrong. And, and maybe you, listener, have experienced this as well, right? You know something is wrong. And you can articulate it. But there isn't maybe sometimes a conversation in the wider medical community that adheres to that intuition that you have, right? And so there's like a lot of research and digging and doing new searches and new conversations that has to happen before you mm -hmm. can finally get those dots connected. And yes. the important piece is like clinging to that persistence of holding on to like, I know something's not quite right here and we can do better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just feeling like we had so much support already, but she needed something else. And uh, I couldn't figure it out right away. We've tried different things. Um, for, for sleep, we've tried reading stories. We've tried playing music. Um, yes, we, we definitely played around with uh, essential oils, although I'm not sure if that we used the right quality, quality at that time. Um, so, and people are, were very eager to like throw out different pieces of advice, like, oh, have you tried this, try that. And like, yep, it's on my list. <laughs> you know, uh, tried uh, different like calming capsules like valerian root or melatonin, which is pretty common. We've tried it all. We've tried sound machine, a fan in the room. Sleep was really bad. Some other things were really hard. Um, yeah, something was missing. And the behaviors continued to escalate. I would get multiple phone calls from school. I almost felt like I was starting to have developed my own startled response. Um, when I see the phone ring and it's the school, <laughs> like, okay, what did she do this time? Uh, what uh, do they want me to come pick her up and get off work early again and I have to explain to my boss like before too long I was feeling like I was dreading and I couldn't focus uh, I just felt like completely preoccupied and very distracted myself like oh my goodness this this child has so many needs and I feel judged constantly as a parent constantly uh, when I pick her up from camp and she uh, scratched another child, it's just that walk of shame for the parent. And do I tell the tell the other parent her story or do I keep her privacy? 
and hopefully they will give me a benefit of the doubt that I'm not teaching her to scratch anybody or bite anybody or, you know, slap anybody <laughs> or, or steal somebody's snack. Um, this is not me as a parent. So it just sort of, I became a little bit more preoccupied with uh, my own reputation because I was trying so hard and I was, I still felt like I was being judged and they, I was getting dirty looks <laughs> and I was getting pulled aside after uh, like a summer camps, like, ah, Miss Ford, are you Alyssa's mom? Um, can we, can we please talk about something that happened today? And then that dread of, okay, okay. And like, my mind is swirling. Okay. What did they, you know, what happened? You know, what do they want me to do? Are they going to ask me not to, bring her back anymore am I gonna have to find a, a secondary solution this my head is about to explode and this is so hard and I I'm kind of desperate I'm kind of embarrassed I'm upset uh should I be upset at her should I just be upset at the situation how much can I uh, advocate ahead of time or do they want me to talk to her oh I guess I haven't tried that yet that's what it takes. I need to talk to her. <laughs> or do I need to be stricter on discipline? Hmm, I wonder what that means <laughs> when they say that. Uh, it was hard. It was a hard journey. Uh, I Just looking back, we went through so much. Uh, and interestingly, that it was, I ended up being so burned out and so stressed constantly um, I felt like a lot of that emotional labor of figuring things out and advocacy and the phone calls um, fell on my shoulders quite a bit. Um, that led me to seek my own therapy <laughs> um, and my own uh, kind of recovery because I felt like that initial happy, I want to give this child a the world and I want to be quote that savior and the loving mom that she needs so desperately I lost some joy after like getting in the weeds of that parenting and nothing came easy to us even like a, a day trip to the coast was ended up like with the full-on tantrums and attempt to run away from us and saying she hates us it, it was just so many heartbreaking uh, situations and you know it was tough <laughs> it was tough on me I found myself kind of feeling resentful <laughs> mm-hmm. and I did not want to feel that way and I felt ashamed for feeling resentful so it was I was digging myself deeper and deeper in that hole and and of course it was really hard to uh, relay it to people because I had to be very choosy who I would share how my child acted this the day before, because uh, even my husband, I remember he went to see a dermatologist uh, and she was like, how are things going with your family? And he just shared very, very little that we have this child and it's been challenging for us. There's some big behaviors it's causing us to be kind of stressed. We're trying really hard. And she says, oh, do you want a piece of advice? And he's like, cautiously, sure. Well, can you still take her back? (laughs) So, uh, which is very, uh, not only it's unsupportive, but it's 
what, what do you do? Like, we feel completely stuck. Um, there were what we needed. and But the other extreme of it is, oh, my gosh, you people are amazing. You need to, you know, you deserve all the glory and you are very special. We did not feel special. <laughs> we felt sometimes we lost our temper. We felt frustrated. Um, I would fall asleep crying sometimes. So I it neither why don't you take her back worked, um, but also you are very special people and you deserve all the glory, just did not feel comfortable accepting. So um, there were very few people that we learned to trust and share when they asked, how are you? How are you feeling? And I was like, hmm, are you the kind of person I can really tell? <laughs> or should I say, everything's fine, thank you. Right. Um, so yeah, sometimes just validation and um, and I found that in the community of other adoptive and foster uh, foster families who really understand it. Um, so that wouldn't either put you on the pedestal, which you don't want to, you know that that's not helpful. <laughs> but you also don't want to be told just take her back, put her back in foster care, kick her to the curb. <laughs> feel and about yeah that cat let alone a human right yeah 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 yeah, um, yeah. so we have eaten up our time and we have like a minute or so left uh so i was curious if you could since our conversation took a direction I wasn't expecting, which I love about the discovery of conversations, <laughs> uh, could you share a piece of advice that, or share maybe a lesson that you now embrace about your tenacity and your persistence in finding a solution to heal your family? Piece of advice. Yeah, I found that I was a lot stronger than I thought I was. And I also learned a lot about myself, um, raising my daughter, that I had my own trauma. And it was it was my strength and my tenacity and my desire to find a solution, find something that would be helpful to her and to me, my whole family, that led me to a change in career. Uh, which didn't come easy, but it's just in hindsight that really that was on my path. This is this is really what I was meant to do. Is to I have much more empathy uh, with the parents who are struggling in whether you're raising a, a foster or adoptive or biological child with uh, you know who's medically fragile or has mental health issues or various disabilities I get it you're trying really hard and it sucks to feel judged so I I love uh, when I see clients who just felt like nobody can get them nobody can understand them and uh, I love sharing my story because people feel like they're not alone on their journey and they things can't get better uh, so wherever you are today, things can get better. I I can assure you. Thank you so much for sharing part of your journey with us. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Olga will be back next week to share a continuation of her story on how healing 
all of this trauma led her to the path of neurofeedback. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner, is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michelleastley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.